Maybe at work? In the car? Wherever you are. Geocache Talk podcast is sponsored by FTF Magazine. FTF Magazine can be found at ftfgeocacher.com and by IB Geocaching Supplies. The best site for geocoins, cache containers, and much more can be found at ibgeocaching.com and by Cashly. Cashly is the foremost geocaching app and can be found at cashly.com and by AMS Travel Sales. AMS Travel Sales is proud to offer hosted geocaching tours and cruises. Join us as we hunt for geocaches on our travel adventures. Please make sure and let these fine sponsors know that you appreciate their support of the show. Welcome to this hour of Geocache Talk's fourth annual Podcast of Hope. Once again, we are raising funds for St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Our goal is to raise $5,000, and we can only do that with your help. To help us reach our goal, please visit the website below and donate. Now, let's join our hosts of Geocache Talk's Podcast of Hope. Hey, Mike, one thing you could do. Okay, you're good. I was just kidding. That's that's how we were going to start with that video. And then we all jump in. So it works out perfect. The timing is actually going to start from there. And so we're perfect. Gonna... It's, it's like, never like a career in slow motion. It's like falling <laughs> down the steps. That's what I do every day. It's like, you think you start, you don't start. You think you're done. You're not really done. Somebody says action. Everybody ignores them. Then they say that was great. And then you're <clears> done. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So you get Barsky telling you one thing and then, you know, you got to work through that and, well, Gary, you learned fast. It's all my fault. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so Gary, I have to. Uh, as we start this hour, I have to uh, to make the other announcement that we had. Yes. Which uh, during this hour and the next hour, we had somebody contact us, which they really wanted to be anonymous. So I'm not going to give any clues to who they were, right. and they're going to match the next thousand dollars that is donated. Um, awesome. One, one person that came in, but they wanted to remain extremely anonymous, but they liked the cause. You know, before for Mike and, and, you know, decided to come on. So this is not related to what it is, but they just wanted to say the next thousand dollars they're going to, uh, they're going to match dollar for dollar. So we oh, can't thank them enough. And uh, it's, it's, you know, the calls couldn't be better. And uh, thank you. They're, they're out there listening now. They're not, they're not in the chat room now, but they're listening because they want to remain anonymous, but thank you that's awesome. uh, from us to you. Thank you very much. So. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. You, you can't beat that. So. No, absolutely not. Well, two thousand dollars could have beat it. <laughs> Pennant, you're being pennant. People don't know what that is. People, but many people don't know what it is. I know what it is. I've listened to you guys for too long. Pennant. Yeah. So we we've already been having some fun, and we do this one every year. This podcast every yeah. year, and it's it's eight hours long. And it originally started as eight hours because before the uh, the platform we were on only allowed eight hours. So yeah. Gary got this crazy idea to max it out and see if we could some raise some money for uh, St. Jude. And, and we've been sticking with him ever since. And yeah, so that's why this is a weird eight hour long podcast. But uh, yeah, we just go straight. And then I go back and I break up the audio, but nobody wants to hear about all that. All right. right. So 
let me mention a couple things. So um, if you have questions, if you if if everyone will wait or till the bottom of the hour, because we've got some other stuff we're going to do first. So if you have questions for for Dave and Mike, um, we probably won't see the questions because they're going to scroll by. So about the the thirty of about the thirty minute point, we'll kind of pull some questions from the audience. And I know Mike has geocaching questions we got to get to. <laughs> first, I've got I got a couple things I want to play. We're not going to play all of them because I don't want to spend all night. But I got I, I got some things that I I need you to to comment on. So. I'm going to play a couple things here. Gary, you've whipped them into a frenzy. I did. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Who's that skinny guy? Yeah. <laughs> is it funny to go back and see that? This is, uh, this is from the 100th anniversary. Uh, 100th anniversary. The 100th show. Uh so here we go. The fact of the matter is, I rely a great deal on the people around me, especially my crew, and doubly especially Dave Barsky, the field producer. He's involved in every element of the show. You've probably seen him before. Take a quick look at this clip and observe the, the nuance of his performance. Believe it or not, supermodels love crackling. They can't get enough of the stuff. As a snack, it's low in fat, high in protein, and doesn't have any carbohydrates at all. It helps them lose weight, and it's an important part of their diet regimen. Supermodels love crackling. <laughs> Dave. <laughs> Seems simple enough, right? I sit and talk for 10 seconds while Barsky eats crackling. Here's what you didn't know. I was clinically exhausted that day. I could barely form <laughs> one single coherent sentence. And this is where Barsky really earns his money. Watch now and observe the way that Dave and I communicate, the inherent collaboration going on between the two of us. It is, in my opinion, unexampled. Believe it or not, Crackling got famous as a part of the supermodel's weight loss regime. They're very high in protein, don't have any fat at all, and believe it or not, Crackling became famous. Believe it or not, Crackling became famous. So, so Dave, did this happen quite often? Hard for me well, right not now. usually. He's Believe usually dead on. We just, uh, it was Believe really bad that day. Uh, we were in Louisiana and no one got any sleep because we were in these huts with metal roofs. And there was a, a, a huge thunderstorm came through in the middle of the night and, and, and right. it kept all of us awake. And of course, we had a job to do the next day and we did that. And, you know, I, I think that's your question. Otherwise, I thought maybe you're asking me if I get to eat crackling all the time. I don't know. <laughs> well, that too, but. No, um, I wasn't sure because we don't get to see, you know, you watch uh, you watch a show, it's cleaned up, you know, you don't get to necessarily see, although you guys did a lot of uh, ni nice for the viewer, you did some behind the scenes things sometimes, which I really appreciate. Yeah, because we screwed up and we didn't care. I mean, we started including, a, you know, as part of the show is, you know, Mike would tell you uh, it was it, it was uh, it was probably one of the most more successful parts of our show once the whole dirty thing sort of subsided when we would get things that are less dirty, more interesting, interesting people and interesting jobs, of course. But, um, you know, we were able to feature a lot of the behind the scenes stuff and just as part of the show it was great. Right. It was the only reason the show stayed on the air for as long as it did. I mean, honestly, we got through the first season 
and we had checked most of the dirty jobs boxes that we wanted to do, mm-hmm. but we were also, you know, shooting a show in a fairly traditional way. And uh, one of the first big conversations Barsky and I had was, you know, in our industry, they call it breaking the fourth wall. So just the behind the scenes camera that's that's always rolling. But really, I don't think I don't think we broke the fourth wall so much as we ignored it. Mm-hmm. And if you let that clip like really play out, yeah, what you would see is the process of us literally cobbling the show together in real time. Mm-hmm. I was doing a basically a rap during a look back special, mm-hmm. and I was trying to remember a series of pretty simple sentences, but I was so fried that I that I couldn't. <laughs> right. So we 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 really rather than thinking of it like a behind the scenes camera, we documented the making of the show. Right. As a result, we got away with, you know, (laughs) calling virtually anything content. And I don't know, Dave, tell me if you've ever seen anything like it, but we, we shot 300 jobs and all of them made it onto the air in some Mm -hmm. way, shape or form. And the ones that went completely off the rails, it didn't matter. Because then the show became the story about the time we went to do a thing that they wouldn't let us do. Right. And we just chronicled all of that. So it was, uh, you know, it was a diabolically ingenious way to camouflage mistakes and, and, and rank incompetence as uh, actual content. Well, it's, it, well, the monkey sanctuary in South Africa. I mean, Shane I mean, it was... We we you know we were be- we were under siege by a very territorial monkey and it it, it bit Mike on the head. It, it, it oh bit no, our, yeah, bit Mike on the head. An audio guy in the calf who was swelling up like a tick. But we were we were literally, uh, gosh, an hour and a half from a paved road at that point in KwaZulu uh, wow. Natal, South Africa. And uh, it, there were hiring men, and they didn't want us to leave. We couldn't get our guy to the hospital. Uh, and so we shot the show the next day, but this monkey was following us everywhere and you know, was threatening us. <laughs> and we were virtually unable to do anything we really wanted to do that day. And I remember 3 o'clock. Remember I said to you, Mike, at 3 o'clock that day? We don't have a show. That's we right. don't have a segment is what you said. And you wow. remember what I said back? I'm going to punch you in the face. You were pissed. I remember that. <laughs> I said, look, you might be right. We might not have a segment, but we also might have an entire show. And that was the first time. Look, he's understating it. This thing was a bloodbath. Right. I mean, it was a knife fight in a phone booth. We went to KwaZulu Natal from Cape Town up to Durban and then bushwhacked into the middle of nowhere right. to meet a woman. You know, we were shooting Shark Week. And oh, the wow, truth yeah. is, we, we we got we were sent down there for three weeks right. and in the first three or four days we got everything we needed it was unprecedented we got sharks jumping out of the water we got cage diving we got we, we got it all so we had a lot of extra time so dave coordinates with production and we find this woman who's got a monkey rehab facility which just sounds classic <laughs> And when we go there, what we find is that her rehab facility is her home and that it's filled with jacked up vervet monkeys who have oh been my. shot by farmers and who were in various stages of recovery. And oh. one of these monkeys took the high ground and organized a very sophisticated assault on us, employing principles of infilade and defilade <laughs> and and 
basic <laughs> military maneuvering. Right. And I'm, within minutes, I was bleeding. The camera woman was bleeding. Oh. And within that hour, our sound man had been bit to the bone oh. through his calf and was lying on the kitchen floor in a puddle of his own blood. Oh. At which point, Barsky's like, I'm thinking maybe we need to call the production company, but we can't because we got sat phones and they're not working. So we don't know what to do. So uh, at that moment, everybody started filming everything. Right. And we never, I became a cameraman. I had a little camera. Right. You know? And so it was a hot mess of unprofessional disappointment. Uh, and when we cut it together, it was the single best episode of Dirty Jobs, maybe arguably, but certainly the most important one right. that ever aired because it was blisteringly honest. And right. to this day, I've never done anything more transparent on the TV. Wow. That's incredible. Uh, all right. Another quick clip that I think will be. Riveting. Oh, riveting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> riveting. You know what? I should What's probably more? record this. This is so good. Let me roll tape on this. Okay, good. <laughs> it was your show, though, so you're you're rolling on your own show. <laughs> it's very meta. Go ahead. I'm recording right. this now, and then it I'm going to okay, so Facebook page. Be Let me share my screen <laughs> so we can do this. So, what wall is this? If you're recording us, record, you know, watching a recording of you. Fifth wall, like the fifth or sixth wall. Yeah, there you the go. floor just went when under. That's I'm not stingy. There's plenty to go around for everybody. But if I'm going to be replaced, I would at least like to make my own suggestion for a likely successor. My name's Dave Barsky. Oh, Today, geez, man. oh my God. <laughs> oh, Dave Barsky's dirty jobs now. For most of his misery, he had no problem recommending me for the gig. I mean, how hard could it be? Oh, Gary, please stop it. Hold on a second. <laughs> there you are. This is yeah, Steve Wilhelms with the EPA. Oh. And uh, I'm not with the EPA. Oh, jeez. As a field director for the show, I'm most... <laughs> well, today it's my turn to take Mike's place. And as a field director for the show, I'm wow. most responsible for his yeah, misery. Wow. Dave, wow. how you doing? You okay. Nice to meet you. you I'll put you out of your misery. Enough yeah, torture, name. Enough torture. We aired anything. Yeah, Amazing. Man. Wow. Yeah. I that think, was... like you said, I think that honesty and that, that transparency is what, what really just made everybody fall in love with the show and the, the work that you've done is you're... There's too many people out there being perfect always on TV. And, and the fact that you were showing that and, you know, ignored the fourth wall or whatever, you know, that I think that's what made people instantly be fans like that, too. So, May I? There, yeah. There's something else, too, about this. Um, you know, Dave, for those of you, I, I don't know how well you know Barsky, honestly, but he he is a, a paragon of specificity, mm -hmm. a monument to exactitude if he's going to do a thing he wants to do it right i don't care if he's geocaching or producing shows that nobody watches or producing shows that turn into hits he he cares deeply about getting it right right even when we're in the business of chronicling the reality of getting it wrong and so dave and i you know we 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 love each other we respect each other immensely but we fought a lot because I was trying to do a show that really embraced the fact that we didn't know what we were doing. And Dave was committed to make sure that we were doing whatever we were doing the proper way. Right. And so 
And so these two things, you know, like the business of chronicling an adventure and the business of responsibly assembling a TV show in a way that can be edited together later and not get us all fired. <laughs> that's, that's a neat trick, you know? So dirty jobs, unlike, unlike any other show that I've ever seen, except for cops, probably was really produced in the field. And the best episodes of that show to this day are the ones that have the least amount of VO mm -hmm. and the ones that chronicle the, the day that we had in the order that we experienced it, right? So, I mean, that might sound like an obvious thing to people listening, but the arrogance in our industry that exists in the oh, edit days I bet. is mind-blowing. Right. And, and the whole business of pulling the strings and, and assembling something in a new order, you know, that's what TV is. Right. But... But we got to the place where, tell me if I'm wrong, Dave, but I think I think we both agreed that the most honest way to do the show was to, in many cases, um, be incorrect about certain things and to get it wrong and just to keep keep the action moving. I've just I have never, ever seen another show come come close to doing it to that degree. Well, I, I think you're right. It's a natural extension, though, of you attempting jobs that you sometimes fail at. I mean, that was your failure was also a success of the show mm -hmm. as well. And, you know, props oh, yeah. to people who actually do these jobs as well. Right. The show that the average guy like Mike can't necessarily perform certain tasks or is unable to for whatever reason. Yeah. And I think, you know, our, our behind the scenes shenanigans or our flaws, our, you know, our mishaps was just a natural extension of that. The whole premise of the show in, in itself, really. I think, well, it was, it, I'm an apprentice, right? So it's really Groundhog's Day in a sewer. Everywhere I go is my first day. Yeah. So look, the, if I did one super smart thing in hindsight, it was Forrest Gumping my way into a model where I was evaluated, not on my uh, ability to get it right, but on my willingness to try. Right. So... That was it. And and look, Dave got that memo early on, too, in a, in, a, in a more circuitous way. But once Dave fully realized what the show was, he also understood that among his many responsibilities was to make my life as miserable as possible. <laughs> and, you know, it's, <clears throat> you know, it's one thing to, you know, adversity, right? Mm -hmm. Chronicle the frustration and the challenge of a new guy trying to figure something out. But deep down, it, Dave took great, great pleasure, great pleasure in uh, in, in in watching the misery. Well, right. you you once actually, do you remember when you actually accused me of wanting to kill you, trying to? Yes, kill you? I do. That was I rather do. unfair. I mean, come on, I wasn't actually trying to. I mean, I'd be out of a job. Why would I? Why would I, want to? <laughs> I because I think you wanted to be out of a job. I I, <laughs> I, I think at that point we were all double dog daring each other to go a bridge too far you know <laughs> our cameramen our cameramen were taking risks and chances that i'd never seen other cameramen take i was doing things i was in situations that you know i, I do it once and cross it off but i, I swear guys that there were so many times and look we're kidding around a lot but i i, I remember on the mackinac bridge dave when i came down off that cable and walked across that girder 
right. you were crying and you hugged me. Dude, I might have hugged you, but I'm not sure about the crying. You, and, and your lower lip, this thick one, was yeah, okay. Lip. Sure, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's the way he heard it. By the way, yeah. The way said, by the way, it. that's the only shirt I own. <laughs> oh, hey, look at I, that. I mean, this is. This is this is essentially what we're talking about. Well, here. We're all doing that. I'll bring up my copy too. So. Yeah, yeah, bring it up. I, I don't have one. I still don't. Oh have my copy. gosh! Unbelievable, dude. dude. Honestly, first seventeen dollars on Amazon. Would it kill you? Rude. Uh, I probably have some free points I can trade in. Yeah, <laughs> some free points. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, but you hey, know what? That says something about uh, that says something about entertainment and what people really look at. That you know that honesty and the and well, honestly, the humility too, right? That. You're willing to put yourself out there and do those things. And now granted, some of those things were more dangerous than others, but you're willing to get out there on something you didn't know. And people just instantly were captivated with that. That's kind of says something about entertainment in general. Well, I think it says a lot about the reverse commute. You know, if you look at anything and see the same basic thing on every channel or mm -hmm. in every time slot, and then you see something just slightly different, it feels radically different. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when Dirty Jobs went on the air initially back in 2004, um, most of the Discovery audience was used to seeing authoritative people mm -hmm. speak in authoritative tones. It was Jacques Cousteau. It was Jane Goodall. It was, um, you know, David Attenborough. Right. And, and curiosity was satisfied over there in those days from a place of authority. Dirty Jobs didn't come from a place of authority. Our experts were the people we met. Right. But fundamentally, we were we were just trying to be authentic. And so, you know, when you compare a show like that to all the other stuff around it that isn't that, you know, you stand out. I mean, the same thing happened to me years ago at QVC, my first job in TV. I would sit yes. there in the middle of the night. I, you know, I spared you to... that that whole I found lots of a lot of great stuff there, Mike. But I was like. We're not gonna. I don't, I'm not gonna show a bunch of that the old the old footage, but <laughs> don't blame me. But look, it's out there. It's out there, you know. And yeah. look, when you can't escape your past, you know, because of YouTube, you might as well embrace it. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's. I mean, Dave and I used to talk about this all the time. It's like the the minute the the minute you you fail to manage expectations. Mm -hmm. You know, if people look at me as a host or an expert, I'm dead. If they look at me as a good sport who's willing to try something, you know, I get a whole different level of of permission. Right. That's, honestly, I was I was fired three times from QVC, and ever since I've been doing the same show, <laughs> just under a different title. Dirty job, somebody's got to do it, returning the favor, the way I heard it, whatever right. it is. It's just me trying to find a group of people who are in on the joke and willing to let me uh, you know, swing and miss. And yeah. and you only you only fell asleep once, right? On QVC. I did, but and it was. And your mom I was did. watching, right? My mom was watching me demonstrate betting in a ridiculous hour entitled "The Linen Closet," and they had a bed for sale with all these linens. I thought it'd be funny to get in it because we had a we had an overhead cam. So I got in the bed and I pulled the sheets up, and I'm looking up at the camera. Right. And it's at, you know, it's at the end of the first hour of the linen closet. So they go to a break at the top of the hour. And when they come back, well, I'd been up for two days. I'd had dinner. There was some wine. It was the <laughs> middle of the night. And I'm in bed. I'm like tucked in to a bed. That's awesome. And, and so I just closed my eyes for a minute, <sighs> you know, under those warm studio lights. Yes. 
And I went, I got into REM in about a minute. <laughs> and I had an IFB in. Yeah. Right? They're but screaming at you, right? <laughs> they're screaming at me. The technical director thought that I was just playing a gag. Right. So they started playing lullabies and doing all these dissolves with the cameras. Right. And then they start telling me to get up. Okay. It's not funny anymore. Cause we've been on live TV for like 90 seconds. Right. I got the drool. I got my legs. I mean, I am asleep and my mother recorded the whole thing. Her <laughs> finest moment. Right. And they're like, they couldn't get to you, right? They, they, they couldn't figure a way to get to you to try to wake you up, so they're yelling at you, right? That... They were screaming in my ear, and I was dreaming so hard that in the dream, right. I heard people screaming for me. Oh. And only, you know, it's like how you wake up out of that funk. But yeah, that's when I thought maybe maybe it was time for a new gig. You know, when you yeah. fall asleep on the air and live TV. Eh. <laughs> yeah. I want to, if we can, let's switch gears for a minute. Um, Jesse is in his family. Yeah. Is it more Hallie or is it? No, it's it's my youngest. So my uh, second only to the Super Bowl in our household is Shark Week. So I, I have to ask about that, right? Because one of the, well, two really, but uh, one particular of the episodes that you did, and you got to host Shark Week, which is awesome, by the way. But uh, shark repellent? How confident are you and the people that work around you that that was going to be okay? Not confident. <laughs> Not no. confident. No, man. I mean, you're talking about a guy named uh, – we were in Bimini, Dave. What was his name? You got Doctor. me. I, I have – oh, God, I can't remember his name at all. Oh, Gruber. It was Doc Gruber. Sure, why not? Doc Gruber he has a great memory. Go ahead. something. Something that purportedly kept sharks away. And look, we we shot from in cages, we shot outside of cages, we shot in chainmail shark suits. But my favorite moment of Shark Week, and and we did uh, we did a lot of this. This was in two thousand six, I think. Uh, involved our cameraman Doug Glover, who I affectionately refer to as the uh, the ring wraith. This is kind of this albino, gangly guy. You know, the only paler person I've ever met than Doug was was Troy, our other cameraman. The two right. of them together were virtually invisible. And they, uh, they, but fearless. And these two guys got in the water in Bimini to shoot from every perspective we could find. And Doug, <laughs> Doug, Doug got sick a lot. Doug threw up a oh, lot. Yeah. Oh, He's the God. kind of guy... You know, you can just be driving along and he's fine, and he yawns, and the the, the yawn will trigger his gag reflex, and he'll just boot in his hands. You know, oh I've seen this happen. Well, Doug's in the water, and you know, if you've ever shot while you're in the water, looking through the lens, the horizon's a mess. Everything's a mess. Right. The sharks are everywhere. The repellents in the water. Doc Gruber is instructing me on what to do when Doug throws up. Ah. Uh. So he's he's crazy. treading water, and in front of him, shoving the water, just this remarkable pool uh, of, of vomit, uh, and that attracted the sharks even more. Right, the it, sharks crazy dug, <laughs> and, and so like from my point, of, I'm I'm about to jump in, okay, to test the repellent, and I'm watching what Jeremiah Sullivan used to call the men in the gray suits. Right, these right. reef sharks are everywhere. Yes. And they're eating, they're eating my cameraman's vomit, mm. his human chum machine. Mm. And it's so ridiculous and so unscriptable 
And honestly, not to belabor the point, but in any mm. other show, so completely unusable. But in our show, we cut it into the open. <laughs> are you kidding me? In the history of TV, when is a cameraman vomited to attract the sharks to better facilitate, illustrate, and demonstrate the uh, the uh, verisimilitude of the aforementioned repellent? This sort of thing never happens. Oh, my gosh. Incredible. It looked like it worked and you lived. So you, you had enough confidence to at least jump in the water and test it. So here we are. Not confidence, Jesse. Yeah. Not, I, I was paid to try. I was not confident. I was anxious to cross it off the list, but had little choice. While while Barsky supervised from the boat. <laughs> of course. Okay. Shooting with his little camera, documenting everything for the inevitable inquest that was sure to follow. Sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we we got in the water. You must attend. You must get in. You must. That's that is, incredible. That is wild. That that's one of the wildest things that I think I've probably seen out of all the clips of everything that you've done. Swimming the thing, I don't know. I don't know how to rival that. Jesse, Jesse, I don't know if you remember, but you know, they shot it in this canister with a gun. <laughs> Honestly, I just think the effect of the the canister hitting the water just scared the sharks away. I don't, I, I, I'm not sure. Sharks are very timid, actually. I mean, they, they, they bite people because they think they're seals, you know, and all that kind yeah. of stuff. But if you, I mean, I, when we were in South Africa, I touched one by accident. I touched a great white. It was like 10 feet long on, by his dorsal fin, and that thing took off. It was scared. Right. Didn't even see me, but it got scared. So I think I'm I think I take your word for it. I don't think I'm going to go swim with sharks. So. <laughs> I don't have any shark grenades to carry with me, so I'm just going to have to trust you and just watch it on TV. So, you know, Shark Week was great. Um, I really haven't. I've gone back. I did a bunch of research, Mike. So as I told you before, um, but I've only I've heard you mention a couple times about deadliest catch. Tell. And um, that you also memorized the length of the daily cash boats, but that's another thing. Well, I don't really memorize them. I just said it so many times. It eventually <laughs> it just sticks in your brain. That right. show, they just picked up season 17. Did they really? 17 years this thing has been on. And you look, I, I a lot of people don't know it, but I, I actually hosted the first season yeah. back in 2003. Yep. I, had, um, I was trying to get dirty jobs on the air and, and failing. But in the midst of that, the network said, Hey, you know, we saw some footage. It looks really interesting and up your alley. Do you want to host it? And I said, what is it? And they said, we don't know. <laughs> if, if you don't, we don't know. It could be right. a documentary. It could be a, a discovery movie. It might be a series, but it's just crab boats in big seas up, you know, up North. Do you want to go? And I said, sure. So I, I spent um, six weeks up there. Mm -hmm. uh, working as a uh, a greenhorn part of the time on on a boat called the Bountiful, yeah. But mostly just impersonating a host, which is what I did before Dirty Jobs came along. I was doing my very best Stone Phillips, right? right. Standing on the deck of these boats, and sometimes up in the crow's nest, and sometimes in the helicopter, and just trying to put some some sides on this world mm -hmm. that. Um, that I had never seen before. I spent six weeks up there and mm -hmm. I went to six funerals in six weeks. That's unbelievable. And, yeah. And we came back with the footage and the network looked at it and it was like, okay, well, this is a show. It doesn't need a host, but we're going to fire up dirty jobs and you can stay on to, uh, to narrate. So yeah, 
for the last 16 years, I've been saying January, the yeah. Bering Sea. Bering sea. Yeah. Hey, Mike, I don't know if you – Mike, did I ever tell you that I actually recommended you for that job? <laughs> no. No. Yeah, we had finished Dirty Jobs a couple months earlier, and I was working for that production company on another show. And the casting director called me to see if I knew anyone who would be a good host for that show. And I, I said, well, I just finished with Mike Rowe. Who called? Was it Brian Catalina? No, it wasn't Brian. It was the casting director. I forgot his name. Uh, Brian, I did talk to Brian briefly about it, though, too. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? It was really um, it was really an amazing time, Dave, because if you remember, we shot the first three pilots for mm -hmm. Dirty Jobs in 2003, mm -hmm. right? And I went through... Uh, there were two Barskis before Barsky. Well, there's only one Barsky. Right. But I went through two field producers and I don't know how many camera. Every time we came back from a shoot, everybody was fired and we just started from scratch. There was only one guy that stuck, a, cam a terrific cameraman named Bong <laughs> Hung. Bong Hung would oh, go anywhere. And wow. so, so I had Bong. And then I found Barsky, and then he came on for the last three shoots, and that right. finished my commitment to the network, which was three hours. Right. Well, the network put this on the air, and two things happened that were fascinating. The first was it raided through the roof. Everybody loved it and started sending in letters. The second thing was the network had a cow. They didn't know what to do right. because – this was not the show that they wanted their viewers to love. Right. <laughs> right? It's so there was a very weird um, time of cognitive dissonance. You know, when a company realizes that their customers want something that they don't want them to want, <laughs> you know, right? So it's like brand and programming. They all collide together. So it took the network nearly a year to order mm. the first full season of Dirty Jobs, even though those first three pilots raided through mm. the roof. Mm. And it was during that time that I went up to Dutch. And then when we came back, something happened in the universe. I don't know what it was, but it was just, a, I think it was a combination of Dirty Jobs, Deadliest Catch, and this, this idea that nonfiction, real nonfiction, ought not be scripted. Right. And that's when they fired up Dirty Jobs. They were still careful about it, but halfway through the first season, that's when they really leaned into it. And they ordered 39 more. And mm -hmm. that's when Barsky and I were like, holy crap, man. <laughs> we're, going, we're, going to, we're going to work for real. No, yeah. not shooting a TV show, but we're going on the road. We're living in Motel 6s and Super 8s and... By the way, we stayed in a lot of hotels that had a number in the title. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. And, and and if if there's a number in the title, like an actual number, yes, mm -hmm. don't stay there. Right. So like, like if it's the four, like four F O U R, four yeah. seasons, terrific, terrific. <laughs> four seasons? We never stayed in one of those, by the way. No. <laughs> never. But 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 we did stay in a place called the Carlton. Not the Ritz Carlton. Oh God, Carlton. A Carlton. Yeah. That place was in. That was in New York City, Dave. And you mm -hmm. guys, 
you guys jacked me up. We were relentless, Jesse and Gary, mm-hmm. with with uh, pranks. Oh and my! We we did we did truly awful things to each other. Oh. Awful things. And these guys, I had to be on Good Morning America. I had a wake up call at five forty five oh, the no. next morning. We no. went out and we we had a big night. Well, I had to leave my hotel, my room earlier, and I had the big room. I always got the big room, and the crew came up there, and we were all hanging out, having a beer. I had to go do something. Before these guys left, they, like, nailed my windows shut. Oh, no. They turned up the heat to as high as it would go, over 100 degrees. They took out all the light bulbs from every light and locked them in the safe. Rude. And I, I won't say which one did it because these we're, we're all grown-ups now trying to make a living. But one of these, no, it, it wasn't Barsky. wasn't Barsky, okay. But w- somebody went in my bathroom and, <laughs> and, did, and did what we'll call a dry dock. Oh, no. In the bathroom. Yeah, that was not me. Not me. <laughs> when I walked back into my room at 2 a.m., desperate to get the three and a half hours of sleep I needed. Before I, It was 110 degrees. I couldn't turn on the lights. <laughs> there was no lights. And there was a stench. Uh, was, had, the only light that was left on was the little light on the makeup mirror. You oh, know, no. things, right. 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 That was it, it. It was angled down into the bathtub, illuminating <laughs> the dookie. The dart. Oh, my. They, that's... That's not good. That's not good at all. Never told that story before, Gary, but it's true. As God is my witness, and Barsky will believe if I'm, if I'm wrong. I know nothing. Oh, Barsky. Yeah. You um, know, and um, again, we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit, talk a little bit about geocaching, because the Twonky, man, the guy is the guy is relentless, Mike. Um, he is he's an incredible uh, geocacher. Um and uh, I know you have questions, so we're going to get to um, – we're going to give an update real quick, I think. Jesse, yep. you want to give an update on uh, give, giving so, – and, uh, and I, before we even give the update, I want to thank both of you for being on because you're bringing a lot more, uh, obviously, attention to, to the cause that we're trying to raise money. And we're definitely ahead of our normal total at this time of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it looks like we're at $1,675, and we're only into our second hour of the show, of an eight-hour show. Five thousand dollars is our goal, and we have a match for the next thousand. So, yeah, I can't thank you enough for bringing this attention. And, and we'll get to the uh, we've almost well, 950. So, so then we'll have this that double. So, that's uh, so that's great. Thank you so much. And we'll get into the the, the goofy fun geocaching stuff here. And, and thank you for doing that. But you're definitely helping, helping us uh, shoot that goal up a lot faster. So, happy to help. Barsky's a very big deal, and I'm I'm pleased to sit here basking. In the munificence of his ever-growing shadow, he is. He is. He's a machine, right, Jesse? I mean, he led. We we did a thing, Mike, where we did a three-month leadership leadership leaderboard challenge, where you got points. Which normally you don't get points for geocaches. You just find them and off we go. But we did a deal with geocaching.com with the 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 main headquarters people. And they were like, sure, we'll put this together uh, and just give us your parameters. And we're like, well, let's give a point total to these, these caches. And so turned out that 
Dave was about to drive. You're about to drive back to Boston, right? Yeah, I drove back to Boston, uh, taking my my time. Yep, <laughs> taking your time and finding a lot of geocaches along the way, which was incredible. But uh, he led the whole time, except for toward the end. Somebody passed him, but you did, you you're an inspiration, Dave. You did great. Yeah, it's it's kind of speaks to the uh, kind of the nature of the people that get involved in this hobby. Uh, which is it's a worldwide hobby, obviously. It's, you know, it's a scavenger hunt that's around the world, and you, you have Dave doing something that's just an extreme weeks, uh, just dedicated to the hobby as he's going through, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you have somebody out of Finland goes on days long trips to just do this hobby for days straight, twenty four hours a day for just days straight, just to compete in a game that you get no money for. So it's well, a. I did a I did a show. Uh, after dirty jobs for a couple of years called somebody's got to do it. Yep. And somebody's got to do it was focused on people who are just w- wired differently than the rest of humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, people who, who wake up agitated because the world's not the way they want it or, or people who get hobbies that just get totally out of hand. Right. right? That's Dave. That's Dave. And, and pro- you know, I don't know you guys, but I'm guessing that, that that's you too. You 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 know people who can't do a thing halfway. You know when I met Dave, uh, one of the things that 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 troubled me most about him, but also fascinated me, was just just the dichotomy of the guy. You know, first of all, he had an SUV with a license plate that said Pat's fan. So the guy's he's not just a fan of the Patriots. He's a <laughs> He's a fan with a capital F, and he wants right. people to know it. And right. we're discussing this on a Sunday. I think we were somewhere in New England. I don't know where we were, maybe Ohio. But the game was on. So we had to pull over. We had to go into a bar to watch the game. It wasn't negotiable. Right. It wasn't It wasn't a question of anything other than, look, I'm a Pats fan, Mike. You understand? I care very much about this team. I. I, I that's why they're on my plate. I care. So we're going to stop, and we're going to watch the game. I'm like, okay. Fine. So we go into the bar, and it, it just gets weirder, you know. I mean, it's a it's a man's man kind of a bar, full of people wearing plaid and stuff, and you know. So I I order a Budweiser, I'd get say, a couple beers, right? Does anybody look like a beer drinker more than Dave? No, right. So <laughs> the only question is, is it Bud? Is it Miller? Maybe he's going to be a fancy schmancy craft guy, right? But he's going to have a beer. Maybe we'll split a pitcher. Maybe it's a draft. I don't know but I'll let him decide. He orders a Zima. Right. <laughs> a Zima. Okay. Not only that, he ordered two Zimas, right? Not, well, well so right. he drank one and ordered another. And yeah, but he didn't just order to drink it. He ordered it and then turned to me and said, what's your problem with Zima? Let me explain <laughs> to you why Zima matters. And a half hour later, he's so far down the bottom of some endless rabbit hole making a case for Zima that I really thought maybe he had some kind of corporate sponsorship. Right. But, you know, so we're sitting there, he's drinking a Zima and he's interrupting himself because Tom Brady's doing something miraculous. And then he's back to the Zima. And so he's doing all this. And then we get to halftime and he takes a napkin and he starts writing something on it. And I, I don't want to eavesdrop, but at this point I'm like, what are you doing, dude? And he's like, I'm, I'm writing a haiku. Yep. Got to write a haiku. What do you mean? He goes, well, I try and write a haiku every day, and I don't know if I'm going to have time. I'm like, you're inspired right now to to write a haiku? He's like, yeah. Let me tell you about haikus. 
<laughs> so now, you know, I'm, oh hearing, I'm hearing about Basho, right? I'm hearing about the simplicity of form and function, the elegance of parameters that truly open up the ability to be creative. I mean, he's hitting me with a lot of stuff. Now, some of this is being fueled by four or five Zimas. <laughs> so he's already in a euphoric state. But right. guys, this is just a long way of saying, I understand what geocaching is. Right. Geocaching is the thing that happens when you can't decide what you love more, Zima, football, or haiku. Right. You yeah. it all together, and you go out in the world looking for little treasures or something. Right. <laughs> yeah. Made for Barsky. Yeah, yeah. it is. So here, here's a couple of quick stats just so we can. I have never heard it described that way. I have to I say. That, that's perfect. You know, he's, uh, hey, Barsky's a, he's a fan of the form. He loves the 575, you know. <laughs> I got to tell you. Yeah, he does. He loves it real hard. Three million geocaches in the world. That's quite a bit. Yeah. There are 1.5 million active geocachers in the world. And active as in they found at least one geocache this year. Who's the legend, Gary? Like, who's the, you know, who's the Sir Edmund Hillary of Geo? Oh, gosh. So there's actually a couple, and one of them is uh, Colorado is a a very Mm -hmm. big place for geocaching. Oh, yeah. Obviously because of mountains and everything else. But one of the people that is nearby here, and it's not even like the top guy in the world, his name is Mondo. He goes by the handle of Mondo. This guy, a retired guy, and that's what he does, right? Um has found over 150,000 of these things around the world. That, I think he's up to 190 now, isn't he? Yeah, he's he's going to hit 200,000 before yeah, uh, yeah. before next year's over for sure. Can someone name the uh the film from which Mondo was taken? Ooh. Mondo Bizarro? Oh, That's you know what? Could be wrong. It might be Mongo. Is this guy no, Mondo or Mondo? It was a D. Mondo. 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 Yeah. Mondo. Never mind. Never mind. Speaking of Alex Karras and uh, Blazing Saddles. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Exactly. It's the horse. Knocks the yeah. horse down. Right. Which, right. you know, as we, as we continue to roast Twonky tonight, uh, Dave, uh, on our, on our, you know, we planned ahead. I don't know if you knew that, Dave, but Mike and Jesse and I talked about this. Um, <laughs> so when I, you know, got to know Dave a little bit and was interested in why he had the, he'd come up with the geocaching name, the Twonky. I actually went and watched that crazy movie. You're a masochist. I was, but it is fascinating that you picked it. Cause obviously we've talked about before, which is that the TV kind of is takes over, right? Yeah. I mean, I was, it's apropos for my life. Uh, it's about a, <laughs> Man, just a, a, t- a TV from outer space takes over his life. It's right. It's kind of redundant, really, because TV is just crazy. <laughs> well, uh, wait, 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 you can't you can't let that lie there, Gary. Okay. <laughs> In the spirit of you know passions, right? Both guided and and misguided, right? What do you say about a guy like Barsky, who holds the industry on which he relies in such abject contempt yeah what like i mean i get it i mean i have my theories but but is there something 
to the relentless kind of challenge that drives geocachers to go around the world, is there is there some corollary with you know what would attract you to an industry you mm -hmm. fundamentally despise, uh, and at the same time compel you to do your absolute best work in it? What what's that happening? is yeah, Dave. <laughs> Yeah, just put you on the spot. I, 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 look, I have, I have fun. I don't, you know, whatever it is, I, yep. I just do it. I, I don't even watch my shows, really. I just, I just <laughs> go out and to the field and do what I do. I don't care. I mean, I watch them enough in the edit bays, of course. A lot of people get sick of them by the time they actually air on television. So, um, I, 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 I don't know what to tell you. I, I, I work in Hollywood, but I am not Hollywood. I, that's the best way to say it. <laughs> yeah, because uh, you can't. You can't sit here and tell me you don't care. It's you care. You care enough about geocaching that, as Jesse just said, you, you'll play a game where there are no prizes. The honor system, as I understand it, yep. goes right to the heart of the thing. Right. So yeah. whatever. And don't get me started when I catch somebody cheating either with geocaching. Oh, no, Dave, Dave doesn't suffer. You know, what, <laughs> what's the point? What's the point in cheating? Right. I don't know. Right. Exactly. I want to know. That doesn't make any sense. Who's you, like you said? There's no. There's no point. But you're cheating on yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And you know that 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 either matters to you or or it doesn't. Right. It, you're not right. going to shame somebody into having integrity. Speak they either to, have it or they don't. So speak to their character, I guess, a little bit. But um, so a couple things also that. And then we're going to get some questions. If you guys want to, in the chat room, want to come up with some questions that you're really dying to ask Dave and, and Mike, please, you can now put those in. While I ask Mike about, because you like to, you, I didn't know this about you before, but you, well, I, I learned, I came to learn, learn this, the fact that you love to hike and you love to be outdoors and, you had an interesting experience on the Appalachian Trail. I think people, we have a lot of geocachers who hike a, oh, yeah? a lot. Yeah. Uh, geocachers are, I mean, wouldn't you say, Jesse? I mean, yeah, that, that's what got me into it is uh, I'm in Colorado. So once I heard that this was a, a hobby that was at the top of the mountains and it was all out away from the city, that's kind of what got me hooked into it. Yeah. So you've been. You said one time you've been lost in a lot of places, but I, I've been lost everywhere. I've been lost in every state <laughs> and probably in most cities. I, I don't have a I don't have a great sense of direction, honestly. Dave and I used to fight all the time because we, you know, back before you know you could just net navigate yeah. anything, we would get these directions faxed to us from the office, and they were always wrong. You right, know? of course, and Dave. Dave has a decent sense of direction, but he's also cursed with a level of stubbornness that will keep him sometimes from pivoting or taking a new route as quickly as he could. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I just say that because you know, I, I can see him sitting here and it pleases me. Uh, <laughs> but I, uh, I was in the Boy Scouts, you know, and, um, and mm -hmm. grew up hiking an awful lot. And when I got out of the Scouts, uh, I stayed close with some friends who were really hardcore or naturalists and right. we went on like a nine-day Appalachian Trail odyssey in the middle of uh, winter and we got lost. We got lost uh, with people who typically don't get lost 
And what happened was we were we were in a in a valley between two mountains, right? And the weather came in hard and sideways, so the snow was just coming down thick and blowing hard. Well, all the markers on the Appalachian Trail, not all of them, but the ones we were following were white. <laughs> there were hash marks on right. sides of trees every quarter mile or so, because we were in a place where the path wasn't really defined and you could lose your way. Well, we did. And long story short, we walked in the wrong direction for a couple hours. And when we realized just how lost we were, the sun was going down, not that we could see it anyway. So we <laughs> just, look, we got to, we got to stop, made camp, made a fire. I fell asleep on a berm, a little embankment. Right. And, and, you know, the fire was there and I was in my little lean to, and I remember before I fell asleep, just thinking, this is as lost as I've ever been. I mm. can't, I can't visualize anything from the top down. I, I just know that I'm in the middle of nowhere. Right. And then in the middle of the night, the world came to an end. Light appeared from nowhere, bright light. At the same time, a screaming, screeching, rumbling sound began to happen. And it really felt like the earth was going to open up and, and swallow me in. I had fallen asleep on the embankment leading up to a railroad track. Right. And the train that came by in the middle of the night, around three in the morning, was going about 50 miles an hour Ugh. and maybe three feet from my head. And oh. it was just so <laughs> just so jarring. Crazy. Jarring. And it takes a while, you know, for your brain to to wake up and start connecting those dots. And when you're unable to do that, uh, the only sensible thing to do is urinate in your sleeping bag, which I believe I may have done. That and scream, I guess. Real high, like a like a small like a small girl. Which you couldn't hear, by the way, because you got the train going by you. Can't hear anything. Can't hear anything. But I'll tell you what, there were four of us in that group, and we all we we just came flying out of our beds with mm. we were so confused. And I, I I don't know where you read that story, but it but it's absolutely true and it absolutely happened. And yeah. The only reason I, I share it from time to time is because for me, it it represents the epitome of of being lost, mm -hmm. being frightened, and more importantly, just being so profoundly confused that you can do nothing but you know pray that somehow yeah. or another you're it's something that's going to be okay. Yeah, um, yeah. So, that was American hiking. American hiker magazine made you a smoke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you can't beat that story, so why, why wouldn't you? Right, <laughs> exactly. Actually, Jesse, you could beat the story if there was a geocache find at the end of it. There, there you go. That's that's, and it sounds a little bit familiar to some of the things I've had. Search and rescue called on me when I disappeared, and uh, it, it's happened. You get out there and you get turned around, and, and it does happen. But um, so it, we're we're quickly running out of time, and there are many questions that we're going through. But some of the some of the things are kind of would. Dave first told you about geocaching. Uh, I'm curious what your first impression was because we get some interesting. My first impression when I heard about it uh, back before I retired from law enforcement, uh, one of my fellow officers told me about it and I didn't believe him actually. Uh, yeah. He's actually in the chat room too tonight, but he <laughs> told me about it. And I was like, no, this I'm a cop. This is my town. You know, there's no way that this is going on. I don't know about it all around me yeah. and find out I've been around them all this time for years. Mm -hmm. So my first initial impression was, I don't believe that's even a real thing. So oh, kind of no. curious what yours was. Yeah, no, Dave, Dave wasn't the first to, to tell me about it, 
But when he did tell me about it, you know, I, I remember this is Zima plus Haiku plus football guy. <laughs> right. I, I wasn't surprised. It was right. like, fine, it's, it's some international treasure hunt mm-hmm. and you're on it. And this is perfect for you. But my first encounter with it, I was filming an episode of a show called How Booze Built America. And I was at a crossroads in, I think, in Tennessee mm-hmm. and just doing a stand-up, explaining whatever I was explaining. And this troop of people came out of nowhere, like four or five of them. And they had like hard hats on and one of them was on a bike and they looked like they looked like human bloodhounds. <laughs> like they were referencing things. And there was a there was a mailbox <laughs> off to the side of, of this crossroads and a pile of rocks. Mm-hmm. And they started moving the rocks. And I'm I finally I just walk, walked over. I'm like, hold on a second, guys. My cameraman follows me over. Right. And they knew at this point to never stop shooting. So they followed me over as I confronted these people to say, what are you guys doing? What are you doing? And one of them was like, we're geocaching. And I'm just like, that's a sentence like along the lines of, may I mamu dog face to the banana patch? Yeah, it means nothing. What do, you, what do you even mean? And the cameras, you know, my other camera guy came over and we basically filmed this scene, this random encounter of these geocachers. And they explained what they were doing and how it worked. Mm-hmm. And uh, I tried but failed to get that scene cut into the show somehow. Oh, man. Just because <laughs> I thought, you know, but but How Booze Built America was not quite as nonlinear as Dirty Jobs. So the network quite rightly said, are you out of your mind? And I, I, I don't know. I don't even have releases for these people. But that's that's my first memory of geocaching, a giant wow. treasure hunt, a mm-hmm. kind of anthropomorphic hide-and-seek game of some kind. Yes. Seem tailor made for Barsky. Yes, they can be all sorts of shapes and sizes. And here's one we're giving away that's, you know, just just a box with handmade that somebody made to donate during the hour. So they can be be large. You find you find it, you open it, right? You you take the prize, or you just sign a thing. So at its most basic, it's like, uh, and you're you're a hiker, so you'll, you'll you'll get this. But like a summit log, you go and you sign it. It's all honor system. You sign your name. That's really the most basic, fundamental part of geocaching. Is you go there, sign that you were there, and you know you keep track of your own finds or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now there are prizes for in some of them, and they can get very elaborate. But essentially, that's that's what you're looking at a scavenger hunt where it's just the effort is to get to that location and uh, just show that you were there. So it basically satisfies that thing that most people have in varying degrees that that wants to say, I was here, you know? Mm-hmm. I was here. Right. I, I, I somehow traveled this way. I bore witness. I'm leaving my mark. Right. I'm, I'm, it's, 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 it's just that, it seems. Yeah, it is. It's exactly that. And for a lot of the more adventurous people, it's, I was here. Now let's see who else can get here, because you you post it online and then other people do the same thing. So, I get it. We hit two thousand, Mike. Oh, we made it. All right, we well, hit two thousand. That's awesome. Good. Very good. So, so does that mean we match? find that? a donate button where I'm at. I'd like to donate too. Oh, cool. I'll, I'll the, the let me let me bring it up. I'll bring up the. 
Hey, hey Mike, do you want? Do you guys give gifts? Do you want like like me to auction or yeah, donate yes. one of these, sign it? Awesome. Yeah, can you? Are you? Would you? Would you sign some and and give some away? I send you their uh, information. Well, I mean, I don't know how you guys want to do it to raise money, but if you want me to personalize one, yeah, and you want to, you know, auction it off or something, I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to send you a couple signed. Sure. I, you know, but I don't know. As a yeah. geocacher, it would seem to me that if there's any inherent value to it, it would be in a a, a personalized signature yeah. for the oh, holiday. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Do you know, do you know Barsky's in the book? Barsky told me it's in the book, so I'm excited to read that. Uh, I haven't gotten to that point yet. I haven't read it yet. Now, now I probably shouldn't read it. Uh, well, it, it's not a pop-up, so I imagine it's probably not on your list. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Have oh, right here behind the scenes, and she's telling me that, to say that yeah. she read that part already. So she's hiding behind, right behind the camera. So Perfect. Incredible. Uh, yeah, yeah that will help. that's going to help us get even closer to the goal because I know people will be very excited about that to to have a chance to to win a personalized edition, especially or a signed copy. That's yeah that's great. And keep in mind that we had our person that uh, that offered to to catch us up with that thousand dollars. So really, we're at three thousand dollars now, which is oh, wow. amazing for us getting close to our goal. Yep. Yep. Well, I mean, is there a way to get a copy of the book? To the anonymous person, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Yes, uh, I can. I, I'm the only one who knows who it is, but I can. I can get it to them. They wanted to be anonymous, but I'll absolutely do that. Well, if they want one, I don't want to assume too much. But give the info to Barsky; he'll give it to me. I'll yep. personalize it to them. Right. And uh, yeah, Bob's your uncle. It's like a, a virtual little literary geocache happening right here. There, there you go. go. Well, thank you so much for that. That's yeah. we definitely appreciate that, and I know this person will as well. So. Good. Thank you guys uh, so much for being on. An hour goes quick, let me tell you. Uh, yeah. It's been fun. Hopefully, we can do it again. I I've, I didn't get to some of my other Barsky uh, uh, roasting items that I wanted to get to, but Dave will be on it. Dave, oh, I'll do bad. <laughs> uh, well, look, if you get to five thousand by midnight, call me and we'll keep it going. I don't. Right. <laughs> That's perfect. Well, thank you so much. And y'all definitely helped us zoom closer to our goal. So we're very appreciative of it. Amen. Thank thanks. everyone for donating. It was great. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing that for St. Jude. It's a great cause. And obviously you guys are geeky and freaky and I love that. But the cause, man, it's, <laughs> it's terrific. Keep it up. Tremendous. Thanks, guys. Thank Adios. you. Keep it up. Bye now. Bye.